All right, guys, if you have a Bible with you, on a real Bible or on your phone, find Acts chapter 17. Tonight, we're going to take a quick break in our study, despite what it shows on the screen there. We've been studying what we believe about Scripture. I want to reflect on something a little different, particularly on an, uh, an important event that was held last night here in Auburn at the Neville Arena. I know some of you were there. How many of you were there? I then. Uh, I was for a short bit. Um, and even if you weren't there, you probably know the event I'm talking about. Maybe you've seen video and pictures or read about it. I don't know. Obviously, I'm talking about Unite Auburn. Uh, and I encourage, I encourage you to consider going. Uh, <clears throat> I encourage you to go and see it as an outreach event and to... Um, that's what the organizers of the event, that's how they pitched it to us college pastors and said, hey, we want, we want the local church to be uh, intimately involved in this and we want these students to get connected to local churches, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, hey, go and do, do that. And if you were able to do that, if you were able to talk to the people around you, that sat around you and everything, and uh, that's great if you were able to do that. Um, of course, after the event... I had a number of people, both last night and this morning, a number of people um, reach out to me and ask me what I thought about uh, what I thought about the event, and particularly about the previously unplanned baptisms that took place after the event. And so, down at the Red Barn, I had so many ask me questions about it. Some of you asked me about it. Former students that have come through here that now they've gone and they're adulting somewhere. They're taking, what's going on in Auburn? And uh, even other college pastors called me. Um, and I, I figure we need to talk about it. And, and, and I feel like in a way we're going to appropriately apply what we've been talking about this semester about the scriptures as we are going to search the scriptures to gain God's wisdom on, uh, on this issue as we should any issue, large and small. We're going to think about a number of scriptures tonight. But I want to start with just a couple of verses from Acts chapter 17. So if you found that place in your Bible, <clears throat> uh, just follow along with me as I just read two verses. Verses 10 and 11. Um, Acts chapter 17. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Let's pray. Lord, I, what we just read and all the other scriptures we're going to make reference to tonight, um, they are your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient Infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And Lord, tonight as we would any night, but especially tonight, Lord, would you give us eyes to see the truth in your word? Would you give us minds really to think clearly about your word? Would you give us hearts to embrace the authority of your word and the clarity of it and the, um, the sufficiency of it? Would we prize it? Lord, would you give me the help that I need to teach? Would you give us wills to obey your word? Give me the help that I need to teach. 
and uh, give us all ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, to begin with, I don't always give titles to the lessons when I come in here, but I do want to give a title to this one. And the title I want to give it is this, uh, Discerning a Good Thing. Discerning a Good Thing. That's the title I'm giving this thing. So let's think about that. Why do I call it discerning a good thing? Why am I calling it this? Because taken as a whole, I thought my perception was, and some of you might feel differently, that's fine. That's what Theology Thursday is tomorrow for. Um, I thought there were many things about Unite Auburn last night that were good things. Okay? And there were many outcomes to the event last night that absolutely were good things. Um, there were, first of all, there were scores. There was a lot of people there. There were scores of students who came away from that event last night um, who left that place repentant over their sins and looking to Jesus for help, right? That's never a bad thing. Jonathan Bacluda, while in my estimation not necessarily making the gospel as clear as he could have. Uh, nevertheless, spoke from the Scriptures, spoke from 1 Thessalonians, talked, talked about sexual sin. Uh, in, his, in his talk, he called people to repentance and confession of sin uh, and re repent of them, and people did. People did, and that's a good thing. To confess your sins to one another, repent of them, that's a very biblical thing to do. Jenny Allen, I don't know all she said, but I know she, toward the end, she ended with reference to the Great Commission and making disciples, um, the importance of that. And I hope people heard that because that's a good thing. That's really good. And for those things, I, I am grateful. I was on the prayer team. We, we, were, uh, we were, there was a lot of us, and we were all given a time slot during which the event to, to pray especially so that the entire night was covered in prayer. And that was something I, that I, for which I prayed that things like that would take root and would be clear and heated, and, and that's a good thing. And, and they, those are outcomes for which we still should pray that might come out of that. But even with good things, we always need to be discerning. Um, Paul shared the pure gospel with the Bereans, but before they jumped in with both feet, they searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And, uh, and, 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 and in the same way, even with an event like Unite Auburn, um, and perhaps especially with an event like that, we need to be discerning. because, And I'm talking about tonight because so many of you are trying to be that, and uh, some of my former students who listen to the podcast, maybe they're trying to be that, and they'll hear it sometime in the future, and have asked me about it, so I'll, I want to talk about it. There are a couple of areas in which I want us to be biblically discerning here, because Unite Auburn is just one event, but there's a thousand like it. Uh, one area that I want to be discerning in has to do with the nature of the church, the nature of the church. And the other has to do with the role and function of the church. One area has to do with the nature of the church. Second, the role and function of the church. And 
And I think that will help us be more discerning about some things that perhaps were well-intended, well-intended last night, but there's a better way. There's a better way Um, and a more biblically faithful way. So I'll try to be specific with what I'm talking about as we go along, and I hope this is helpful to you. Um, And again, if you have more thoughts, uh, Student Center, 1 o'clock tomorrow. Um, Let's think first about the nature of the church. Now, I know that when I say the nature of the church, this is a very broad category. It could be a theme for an entire series of messages. But I'm just talking about one particular aspect of the nature of the church as it pertains to the event last night. The event last night, Unite Auburn, Unite Auburn, Unite Auburn. Sounds great. Sounds awesome. Uh, and it was great in a lot of ways. Is what I, what I, I've already outlined some of those things. So, but why, why I'm bringing that up, this, the, 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 the name was Unite Auburn, um, is because it, I think the, the name itself does tap into an important theme that is, that is big in Auburn, um, and for a lot of reasons, rightly so. It's the theme of the, the unity of the church in Auburn and Opelika, okay? That was sort of intended last night as, as Unite Auburn. There was a lot of churches coming together um, to unite together for this event. I'll go ahead and say, cards on the table, that idea is certainly a major theme of the Oaks Retreat, right? And which I love. I love it. I love being able to be a part of the Oaks Retreat every year. I love speaking at it. I love the ministry fair when it's normal. I love, I hope, I hope a lot of you, a lot of you sign up to be counselors. Go ahead and do that. It probably started already. Just do it. It's awesome. Um, But one of the common themes you'll hear at um, time and time again at the Oaks Retreat is that the churches and the college ministries in Auburn and Opelika, um, we are united for the gospel. Uh, We are partners for the gospel. We are are certainly not in competition with each other. Um, That is all good, and that is true and we should never stop saying it, and we certainly shouldn't stop acting like it, okay? So don't hear me saying that. Here's what I am saying. What I fear is an unintended consequence of only ever emphasizing that, okay? As good as that is, um, it can create in the hearers, you, whether you realize it or not, it can create in you such a focus on Big C Church that all sight and all significance of Little C Church um, is, is lost or is minimized or it gets blurry. And when that happens, we've gotten off kilter with the New Testament. What do I mean by that? What is Big C Church and what is Little C Church? That is the recognition. That's one way of talking about the recognition that the New Testament talks about the church in two different ways, uh, in two very important ways. 
what is Big C Church. Big C Church refers to all believers everywhere. Like the universal church, all believers throughout time and everywhere in the world, universal church. That's Big C Church. Um, Little C Church would then be local churches like Lakeview, like First Baptist Church Opelika, like Grace Auburn, like First Pres Opelika, um, and on and on and on. Why would, why would focusing on Big C Church, all believers everywhere, more than Little C Church like Lakeview, why would that be off-kilter with the New Testament? Well, it's off-kilter because while the New Testament does talk about the church in both senses, it talks about one sense way more than the other one, and it might surprise you to know which. Yes, the New Testament talks about Big C Church. It does. Let me give you a few examples. You can jot these down. You can turn to them. I don't care. Think, for example, in, um, in Matthew 16. We'll read it, this passage, in just a minute. I forget which, which verse. Maybe verse 13. I don't know. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's big C church. Jesus is not just building Lakeview. He's building his church all over the world. Or think about Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Jesus didn't just love and give himself up for Lakeview or FBO. He, he loved and gave himself up for sinners throughout the world. Right? To build his church universal. Or even think about the way that Paul, the apostle, before he was an apostle, think about the way he talked about how he persecuted the church. Think about that. So, for example, 1 Corinthians 15 9. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted. The church of God. Or think about Galatians 1.13. For you have heard about my former life in Judaism. Galatians 1.13. For you have heard about my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God. And tried to destroy it violently. He persecuted the church of God. He, and to him that meant wherever believers could be found. How do you know that? How did that mean? But think of this. This is Acts 26, 9 through 11. He was just going from place to place, the churches, wherever I could find believers. He, Acts 26, 9 through 11 says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So when Paul talked about persecuting the church, he meant persecuting Christians whenever and wherever he could find them. Big C Church. But the vast, the vast majority of times, 
that the New Testament talks about the church, it's talking about little c church, the local church, like this one. Might surprise you, but it's kind of overwhelming. Um, the local church refers to a group of Christians meeting together as a church at a particular place and time. That's this, like this. Let me give you some examples. Maybe turn to this one, 1 Corinthians 1-2. 1 Corinthians 1-2. As they say in England, 1 Corinthians. Right at the very beginning, second verse. First verse says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Now look at verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Now that's an interesting verse. I mean, he, he affirms right there that the church is a group of people. It's not a place. Uh, they're Christians. They're sanctified by Jesus. But notice he's talking about, he's not talking about the church worldwide. He's talking about the church in a very particular place, Corinth, the church of God that is in Corinth. Now that, but he also affirms that that little local church is also a part of the universal church because he says, together with those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, it, but out of that great big universal church, Paul is writing to this little instance of it in Corinth. That little group of people is who he's writing to, that church. Let me just give you one other example. Maybe if you, if you want to, you can flip over to Colossians chapter 4, verse 15. You could take a right and find Colossians chapter 4, verse 15. And this is, these are the, this is in the, like the part of the letter that you start skipping over when you're reading through it because this is like, say hey to so-and-so. But you can, find, you can find some good things there. Notice, uh, for example, Colossians 4.15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. The church in her house. So obviously that's not the universal church meeting in Nympha's house. That's like a little local church in a little local place. Not even the town in her living room. And every, almost every other, aside from the kind of ones that I just mentioned earlier, almost every other reference of church in the New Testament is talking about a local group of believers in a particular place that had intentionally organized themselves into a church there. The church in Corinth, the church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, the church in Thessalonica, the, the church in Jerusalem, the church in Antioch, the churches in Galatia. Because Galatia wasn't a town, by the way. Galatia was a region. The churches in Galatia. Or, or every church mentioned in the book of Acts. Or the, the local churches that Jesus himself wrote letters to in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. Every, so here's what I'm saying. If all our focus, and I think, going back to what my original thing, I think all I think talking about unity and being partners and working together, for the, that's good. But if you're not careful, if that's all we talk about is us together, 
Um, and it's and your all your focus is only on the one big universal church of Auburn in Auburn and Opelika. We're never talking then about the aspect of the church that the New Testament spends the majority of its time talking about, which is the local church. And when that happens, when that happens, what what slowly, almost imperceptibly erodes from your thinking and feeling is the importance of the local church at all. And you become what my f- good friend Will Spivey at First Baptist Opelika calls a church hitchhiker. You're a church hitchhiker. You just move from church to church without any real commitment to any of them. Because, because what, 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 what does it matter? What does it matter? I mean, somebody might say, we're, we're committed to the big C church. What does it matter? Well, there's a reason. There's a reason that the New Testament puts far more emphasis on local churches like this one because it's where greater sanctification can happen. It's, it's where the gospel can be seen more clearly by our love for each other. Well, I love, I love all Christians in Auburn. Yeah, but if, you, if, you're, if you're just big C church guy, and, you're, and, and, and this Sunday I'm here, and that Sunday I'm over there, and you're just floating around, it's just big C church, you are never around the same people long enough for them to get on your nerves and love them through that. You see what I'm saying? But a local church, it's always us, and sometimes we get on each other's nerves. And you love people through that, and that's a better picture, Right? And not only that, not only that, and this gets to the second thing I want to say, there, it matters because there are jobs that the Lord has given to the local church. There are jobs that He's given to us that He didn't simply give generically to the church universal, which brings us to the role and function of the church. church. And, one, and one more particular aspect of the event last night that we need to consider. So let's think about the role and function of the church. And again, there's more I could say, but I'm just going to hit these and then we'll, we'll head to the house. Um, the aspect of the event last night that I'm really referring to, as I've already mentioned, are the baptisms that took spontaneously after the event. Um, I, I think that the fact that those took place is the result of a real misunderstanding of the role and function of the local church. And when I say misunderstanding, I'm not talking necessarily primarily about those who got baptized. I'm talking about the organizers of the event. That's what I'm talking about. Um, Why do I say that and why is it important? Let me say something about each of those. Why do I even bring up, why even bring up, why spend an entire Wednesday night bringing up a crowd of people enthusiastic about Jesus at the pond at the Red Barn dunking each other? Um, Why do I, why do I, why do I, and why do I say that's a misunderstanding of the local church? Why do I say that? Let's think about that first. So Jeannie Allen, last night, rightly put a spotlight on the Great Commission, which says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them 
in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you to the end of the age. That verse, by the way, and there's a whole, whole, whole lot more than that, but it's in that, that right there. You can see clearly that those who are to be baptized are disciples. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, right? So disciples are the ones who need to be baptized. You make disciples, new believers, then you baptize them, and you teach them. It's fantastic. That's what he said. That's, that's the plan. But if we're going to consider Jesus' words, Great Commission, that's Jesus' words. If we're going to consider Jesus' words there that are important, which they are, we need to consider all that Jesus said, especially as it pertains to this issue. And for that, we need to look a little earlier in Matthew's Gospel. So if you head on over to Matthew, I want you to see these with your own eyes. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to just read a little passage beginning in verse 13. Matthew 16, let's just read verses 13 through 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. These are important verses right here. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Okay, what did we just read? You saw... There, Peter confesses his faith in Jesus, that he understands who Jesus is and he confesses his faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Confesses Jesus with a confession. And Jesus says, on, on this he will build his church. And, and we've already noted here that when he says, I'll build my church, he's talking about church universal. Church universal, of which you were a part if you're a believer, Church Universal is made, made up of confessors who make the same confession that Peter made. We understand that Jesus is the Christ. He's my Savior. I trust in Him. But notice then, again, I said they were important verses. Notice what Jesus tells His disciples in verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let's unpack that. There is sort of a complicated little Greek thing going on there. Now, literally translated, 
it would say, whatever you bind on earth, listen to this carefully, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. So that's saying that whatever, we'll talk about what loosing and binding means, but he's basically saying whatever pronouncement that the, the disciples make, it will have already been made in heaven. You get that? Whatever you loose, it will have already been loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind will have already been bound. Whatever pronouncement they make on earth, it will have already... It's not like they're making it happen in heaven. Heaven is making it happen on earth. Does that make sense? Right? Which is, is Jesus' way of saying that when you make the pronouncements, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to be guiding you to help you do that. Okay? Well, what are they loosing and binding? And what does that even mean? It simply has to do with their ability to make judgments. To make judgments. As they go, as they, the apostles, the disciples, as they go about bearing witness to Jesus, and as Jesus builds his church through their witness, some people are going to make confessions of faith. And so they're going to have to make judgments. The, uh, the apostles are going to have to make, people are going to respond to their preaching. And the apostles are going to have to make judgments about confessors and their confession. Whether they're true or whether they're false. Whether they're genuine or whether they're fake. And Jesus is telling you, I will give you discernment to tell. The Holy Spirit's going to help you. Whatever you decide, already going to be made in heaven. They're going to, God will give them the discernment. That's what the, having the keys, that's what it is. It's the responsibility to make judgments and, and the help and the ability to make them. True conversions from false conversions. And, 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 and that's how the church was established at the hands of the apostles. But now, I want you to turn over two chapters from Matthew 16 to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. And when you get there, follow along as I read verses 15 to 20. And... Think about, just keep in mind what we read in chapter 16 as we read these verses. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to who? The church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, this is an important verse. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, you might have heard some similar language in that passage to the one we saw in chapter 16. What I'm saying is, verse 18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Same kind of funny Greek thing, will have been bound, will have been loosed. 
That's the, language, that's the language from chapter 16 about having the keys of the kingdom. And there's that same promise of help. Gather to my name, there I am among you. Christ by his spirit will be there to give them wisdom in the binding and in the loosing and the discernment of true versus false, confessors and confessions. In chapter 16, who did he give those keys to? The apostles. But here in chapter 18, who's he given the keys to? The church. The church universal? It's not who's in view here. It's the local church that he's given it to. How do we know it's a local church? The context. What's that, what is that talking about right there in that passage? It's talking about church discipline. It's talking about if somebody, if, if, if you sin against me, I need to go to you and I need to try to work it out and, 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 and make known your sin against me. If you don't want to listen to me and you're like, I didn't sin, I'm not repenting of that, then I'm going to take two or three others with me. And then if you're like, I didn't do that. I don't care. I don't repent. Then, then he says, you're going to take it to the church. Well, I'm not going to say, that's not, I'm not going to go tell every Christian in the world. I'm going to go to this local body, this little local church that I'm in. Like, I'm going to take it to this group of people, what, the, what the, the unrepentant sinner did. And then if he doesn't listen to this local group of people, then we're to, we're to uh, we are to treat him as a, as a Gentile and a tax collector, right? And, and now he's, he, so he's now saying that the local church and, and the authority to, to have that discipline, he said, whatever you bind it will be bound and whatever you loose will be loose. They now have the keys to do that kind of thing. And so just as the apostles did. And so now the local church is tasked with the responsibility, having the keys of judging true from false the local church like this has the has the the responsibility of giving public affirmation of genuine conversion it's like the we the local church hears the testimony and we say yes we believe this person is a genuine believer and what follows that baptism right we we are the ones who who say, we believe this is a true confession, so we baptize, right? And you see that because in that context, the other end of that spectrum is if that, that person that we said, we believe they're a true believer, or we baptize them, if they then go off the rails, and they go into sin, and they're unrepentant, and it goes through all the steps, and it finally goes back to the church, and they don't even listen to the church, what is that? Treat them like a tax collector or a Gentile. That is the church now taking back that. We can no longer affirm that this person is a believer. When they come in, it's the church who says, yes, we affirm it. When they go off the rails, we can no longer affirm it. The church has the keys to do that. The local church does. And baptism, bring, the church baptizes into this, into this body. And so outside of there's so many other passages we could look at. We'll take a time. Outside of, and I'll just say this, outside of extreme circumstances, like think of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. He wasn't baptized in a local church. Why? There wasn't one. 
There wasn't one. I mean, like, but hundreds of people last night, of all places, Auburn, Alabama, where there are churches on every corner. You know, you ever, how many of you have heard of Billy Graham? Oh, does my heart good. Does my heart good. Billy Graham, greatest evangelist in our nation for decades. Millions of people came to faith. Billy Graham. Billy Graham never baptized a soul. Every thousands of people come. What did they do with those new those professing believers? They funneled them to local churches in that area to baptize them and to disciple them. Now, sometimes they were rotten churches that they went to, but the premise is, this, is the right one, right? What, what, Billy Graham could have baptized millions and been like, had that on his resume. But that's not the right thing to do. That's, what not, that's not what the scriptures should do. And so I think outside of like weird situations, like out on the mission field where there is no church and he's the first guy that came to faith in this place where there is no church, well, don't, you don't withhold his baptism until there is a church. You go and baptize the guy, right? But in a church, in a place like this where we're just drowning in churches, there's no reason to get baptized in a pond with just your crowd of buddies or in the swimming pool, whatever. Yeah, so um, all that to say, the church has been given, the local church, not just this church, every local church, been given the job by Jesus of the job of, and, and been promised the help to affirm true believers versus false believers, true confessions versus false confessions on the front end, and if they're unrepentant on the back end, we can no longer affirm it. Why did he do that? Why is that it's so important? It's because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit giving wisdom to, men, to, the, to the many. The Holy Spirit, in the local church, the Holy Spirit gives wisdom to the many in discernment. That, that is, that's just mathematically greater than just the wisdom that just one believer has. You make a faith that I'm going to say that's right. It helps to have more than one hearing the testimony and collectively say, we believe that's right, right? And greater assurance is found in that new believer when they, ha when they, when they find many believers who say, we see evidence in you of faith. That's just all the greater assurance they have. And that person baptized now enters the membership of a local church where discipleship now takes place. And we together can teach them to obey all that Jesus had commanded us. Let me just wrap up saying this. We live in such an individualistic age. We live in such an individualistic age that, that, that the, the constant focus on universal church, I think, is actually just an easy and convenient way to disguise our individualism and still live in it. 
because I'm just going to go to the one that I want to go to because of the reasons that I like. And if they get to know me and I don't like them, I'm gone. I'm going to go over here. It's all about me and what I want. That all changes, like I said, when you give your life to a local church. And sometimes we get on each other's nerves, but we're not going anywhere. Will Spivey told me today, too, I thought it was insightful. He said that people, people now tend to say, I go to such and such a church. Or I attend such and such a church. Rarely do you hear, I belong to such and such a church. I'm a member of such and such a church. When the, when the local church has authority and accountability over your life, and it puts a constant group of people instead of, an, instead of an ever-changing group of people that you never really get to know because you bounce around, but a constant group of people that you have to love even when it's not convenient or popular, that's when you're going to be better equipped to work alongside Big C Church when the opportunities come. The baptisms we saw last night in the pond as They are evidence, I hope, and I rejoice of God's great grace in bringing sinners to repentance. I don't prejudge any of it. Like I said at the outset, this is is, uh, discerning a good thing. When you have an event happens and there are hundreds of people who are, like I said, repenting of their sins, and to varying degrees of understanding the gospel, they, they are, to, to the level that they understand, looking to Jesus as their hope. That's never a bad thing. That's a good thing. But as another friend of mine said, when it's done like that, and it's just you and your friends out at the pond, that's like building train cars and never laying tracks for them to go anywhere. When they come into the, into the local church and we baptize them, there are tracks already laid. Yeah? So the way those baptisms out there took, it's outside of the local church. I think it has shortchanged some of those new believers, if they're genuine believers. It has shortchanged them from the local church that can help them grow, flourish in Christ, persevere to the end. So I just say when that event or events like it come up into the future... My last word is this. Don't get caught up in the emotionalism of the event that you forget the plain word of God. What a gift the local church is to us. And I come to deeper realizations of it every passing year of my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your words of gentle correction and teaching to us. And uh, thank you that... Thank you that... um, even in events that aren't perfect, nor could any event, any event ever be perfect. We could always, Monday morning quarterback, any event that we do, because we're sinners and we're fallen. We don't have perfect understanding of anything. I pray for and I rejoice in genuine conversion, conversions that may have come from last night. And I pray for those new believers. Just like... I. Uh, just like someone said, that they would, at the event, that they would get funneled to 
local churches where they could find shepherding for their souls, where they could find accountability to walk in holiness and grow in grace, walk with Jesus, teaching. But help them to do that and help us always to um, never stray from the plain word of God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.